0: Welcome to By the Sword, where we discuss the modern study of historical European martial arts, or HEMA, with instructors, experts and martial artists from all over the world. Today we talk to naturalist, conservationist and fencer Steph Holt of the 1595 Club in the UK. We discuss the sidesword or war rapier of Saviolo, as well as bats and ecology. This episode was recorded on Instagram Live 25th June 2020. Unfortunately, the recording suffers in places where connection was lost. We apologise for the quality. Hi Steph. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Um, oh, nice to see you. I haven't seen you in ages. It was your birthday recently, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah. Getting older. And you had
0: a a big surprise party on Zoom.
1: Uh, yeah, I had no idea about that at all. Scared the living daylights out of me. And Luke had, like, oh God, you had to think how many people projected up onto the wall. <laughs> so it's not like it was even on a laptop it was the entire wall
0: oh wow <laughs> it's
1: rather good
0: oh that's really sweet so you had people coming in and out saying happy birthday for the day
1: yeah it was lovely really fun.
0: um i I, w- I i knew about it obviously i was part of the conspiracy but i wasn't able to get along so belated happy birthday Steph.
1: thank you you were missed I'm sorry <laughs> um,
0: and um my my traditional question now how's your lockdown been so far
1: um it's been okay yeah um really lucky actually because even though still in the middle of london um got a garden wash air garden, um which has been kind of saving my sanity um very strange um obviously with the museum being closed um where i work so it's all a little bit weird um, did pop in there on Monday actually to mm-hmm. do some equipment swaps around and was stomping around.
0: Um, so, yeah. just check, the, the viewers may not know, but Steph works at the Natural History Museum in London. Um, yeah. I, I saw a thing. I saw a thing from the Wallace Collection saying that they're reopening on uh, the fifteenth of July. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, how's things at the museum?
1: Um, because we're such a vast um organization so it's not just for us it's not just about the gallery spaces that people know um, we have such a vast collection with so many researchers and curators and things um, we're not looking at opening as soon as a lot of other smaller museums are able to um, we've had to um Uh, kind of close a lot of things down um, and shut down a lot of systems Um, but stuff is in the process of like getting started again it just takes a while Um, Mm. so we're probably a bit further behind um, in terms of reopening either of the sites at the moment.
0: Just because of the sheer vastness of of the of the building I mean it it's just ridiculously big
1: (laughs) it is it is you need to come backstage storefront um (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's a collection of over 80 nearly 100 million specimens um across three different sites um two of which are open to the public uh so it's it's a vast operation and we've got a lot of staff who've been on uh furlough uh for the last few months um and uh, not not me um but about half of the staff you No, know, we we've got an average of about 900 950 people who work at the museum um most of whom are backstage in collections uh so it's a it's a big thing to get starting again and opening up and of course opening up safely because there's so many people who want to come in doing that safely is a big issue
0: so tell, tell us what it exactly is you do at the Natural History Museum.
1: Okay, uh, so I'm UK Biodiversity Training Manager, so I work in the Angela Marmot Centre for UK Biodiversity, which is a little corner of the museum, which is all about supporting um, UK natural history, um, so everything from the kind of grassroots of uh, public interest in wildlife. We run an ID service um, for anyone to email us photographs of stuff that they found and we'll help them identify it, um, through to support to networks of experts, naturalists and professionals as well. Uh, so we do research, sort of like cutting edge um, research, looking at new techniques. We're currently looking at uh, various uh, genomic um, techniques which could be used in the field to study our natural history um and yeah just a whole wealth of things my side of it is looking at um how we get more people um understanding and developing better and better skills in identification mostly so pretty much more the sort of weird and wonderful so the insects and some of the stranger groups of plants and and things like that
0: now you're a you're a biologist and yeah. you have a special interest in bats is that correct yes I do uh
1: yeah been fascinated Incom- by bats since I was a kid <laughs> sorry yeah but just um yeah went on a I think probably my earliest memory of doing anything with bats was when I was 12 I went on a bat walk as part of the school trip um and got hooked basically um a fascinating group um completely biased in saying that of course but they are the best group of wildlife so
0: that, is that a a personal rather than a professional interest or have you ever
1: done any research both. it's oh, both yeah. yeah um so you're just personally really interested in it you don't end up doing a job in ecology if you're not uh but i've done um consultancy uh for bats i've done research on on bats um uh a lot of voluntary stuff so bat care bat handling and that sort of thing, Uh, injured bats, Um, yeah, a lot of different things over the years.
0: And has it taken you to any uh, interesting places?
1: All of my stuff's been UK, Um, so even though we've only got 18 species of bats in the UK, um, just that is fascinating, Um, so all of my bat work really has been British-based, so I don't have any tales of foreign travel or anything like that, Um, but... A uh, eighteen species of bat just in the UK. Yeah, yeah. wow. That, that, well, that's that's uh, resident and breeding in the UK. Okay. You get some extras that occasionally crop up, um, and one um, species that was thought to be extinct, um, but one uh, male does still turn up to hibernate. So that's a greater mouse of bat comes across uh, from the continent and hibernates in a cave. Uh, oh, right. Sorry, Fran?
0: Are they migrate to the UK from the continent?
1: Uh, Yes, but that's something we don't know a huge amount about at the moment. So um, they're really difficult to track in the sort of long-term way that we ordinarily would do. Uh, so say with birds, you've got obviously radio tracking and things like that, um, which can work for larger species really well to track migrations um, and a lot more studies done uh, using things like bird ringing and that sort of thing. So there's whole networks across the world of people who um, who ring birds and track them when they get re-caught and things like that. We don't have that with bats because it's much more dangerous to ring them mm. uh, because they can get caught. And you've got much lower um, weight-carrying ability, so we can't stick batteries on them that last more than three days. So we can't really do very much at the moment in terms of tracing them. But we think a lot of species do migrate. Uh, far more than historically has been thought with the
0: group, anyway. Hmm. Okay, well, that's really, really interesting. Uh, I can see why you're obsessed with them. <laughs> There's a <laughs> lot to them. Um, now I'm going to talk about something completely different, and that's sword fighting.
1: We should probably talk about that, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I had to because <laughs> I'm dying. I was dying to know, so I, I, I wanted to know. Um, so your HEMA origin story, give it to us.
1: Right. We've got... <laughs> Hema origins. Okay, um, so I started off not in Hema, but in um, various uh, Chinese and Japanese martial arts. Um, so I started off in, with Tai Chi, uh, moved from that into Kung Fu and Yin Star by Guajang um, with a group in, uh, who study um, every Saturday, I think it still happens, in Regent's Park. Um, so I used to travel up to London every Saturday to train with them for a ridiculous amount of time um, which was really fun and then kind of fell from that into Japanese um, martial arts Aikido and then latterly uh, Katori Shinteru with uh, Winchester Judo and Martial Arts Club Um, and from there I met uh, someone who was studying both Aikido and Katori and also Hima Um, and that was the first time i'd really kind of come across anyone who was studying um, hema and uh the sort of martial arts that we do um and i just got interested talking to him um asked him where he trained because he was spending a lot of time up in york he was up over that way um so at that point there wasn't very much or anything in hampshire really so he suggested uh, the 1595 club um who are over in Brighton, so not a million miles away. Felt like it, but not a million miles away. Um, they happened to be running a open workshop, a two-day workshop, um, a couple of months after I'd started chatting to Adam about this. So I popped along to that to find out what it was about and if I liked it, and I got hooked completely.
0: <laughs> and how long was it before you sort of dis- did uh HEMA fully uh and not the other ones too much
1: not long at all really Uh, long um as much as I enjoyed the clubs that I trained with and stuff like that I HEMA well 1595 really stole all of my interest um basically immediately it was just uh, just absolutely fascinating from having done weapons stuff with both um Katori and with um Bagua um it just felt so much more natural immediately. It felt like that was what I wanted to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I the 1595 hasn't been able to get rid of me yet. <laughs> now I
0: know for you, the 1595 is very much, um, well, it's like this for most people I'd say with their HEMA club, but for you, it's more like your family, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the very, very close knit club or group of, clubs now really because we've spread because we've got cells in so many different places um yeah and it's a very very close-knit and really supportive group my yeah they I quite often refer to particularly uh Georgian and um and Gray as my brothers because uh, they are so important to me absolutely and I yeah
0: I think I think that element of uh Hema is like it's it I think the thing that draws us in is and and probably the thing that keeps us there is is the people and the, and the and the friends that you make
1: definitely yeah absolutely I'd say that was true of a lot of people in HEMA it's it's very much about about the people as much as it, you know HEMA is hard training with this stuff takes a lot of commitment and a hell of a lot of energy and actually the people make it what it is yeah. yeah yeah that's not yeah obviously my, my club is incredibly important to me and those people always will be but actually also the other people that i've met um during uh fencing at various events and things like that um are also as as important as well in a lot of ways
0: absolutely um now tell us about what it is that the 1595
1: club that you study Tell me about the 1595. Okay. Um, so the 1595, probably ought to start with why the name, because not everyone's going to know that. So the 1595 um, is called that because its core is the treatise published in 1595 by Saviola. Um, so his practice um, was a book published in two parts. Um, the first one deals with his fencing method and mechanism for single sword and for sword and dagger. Um, and then the second book within that joint publication is uh, his Honour and Honourable quarrels, which is um, sorry of Honour and Honourable quarrels, which is more about etiquette and in duelling and that sort of thing. Um, So it's less about the actual practice of fencing. So we tend to focus mostly on the first book because that's what gives us the the basic foundation, the footwork particularly, um, that is the the basis of our system. It's not about purely reenacting that manual, however. So a lot of people think that we just use that manual over time, various other influences have come into the system so we don't just look at just single sword and sword and dagger as saviello does but it's also how does that apply to other weapons and other techniques how does that fundamental concept allow us to look at other weapons and from that it's brought in other elements so there's bits of angelo that have come into parts of particularly where we've looked at sabre and cutlass and things like that Um, we also do partisan and quarterstaff so polearm things um, and we've brought shields in as alternative offhand weapons plus we also almost all of the clubs um, do an unarmed knight and that starts with Saviano but then also brings in elements of, of things like Savate, um and buttons that we brought cane into into bits and pieces because it's fun <laughs> so you, the
0: 1595 has got this very this sort of distinct uh image and what's what's interesting about you guys is like you don't you don't just do everything, but you've got a selection of particular things that you guys do in your your particular way. And like if you're at an event and you see from fifteen you see someone fencing, you can say, Oh, they're from fifteen ninety five, you can just by the way that they fence. It's it's very it's a very distinctive thing. I I've heard this with the School of the Sword as well. and the same with uh um a scholar gladiatoria like you can tell where someone's bit, where someone's trained by the way they fenced and that you've got that very distinctive style of, of fighting and I think it's really cool that you don't just like in our school we got a particular well it started out with a particular period of history and now mm-hmm. it's just become a sort of geographical location <laughs> but you guys have got like you got like you know the fighting arts of 1595 all the way through to Victorian Bartitsu and uh, these sort of like things on a timeline that you've sort of latched onto and uh worked on and over the years and sort of made your own is really fascinating sort of from the outside looking in because i remember when i started just before i started Hema, there was a really cool um youtube video of uh i think it was gray and george doing mm-hmm. um sticks doing stick and they were doing they were doing um side sword and they were doing pugilism as well and they had this really cool soundtrack by a band called whirling pope joan and i was like i (laughs) I have to hear that (laughs) i got the whole album i absolutely loved it but yeah that kind of stuck with me as the uh as the of uh the yeah the music video for for your for your club (sighs) oh you've gone frozen on me now
1: you still there? It, it does seem like some of the videos that you—you um, <laughs> you keep freezing, my friend.
0: Yeah, you too as well. Um, still there? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I think. Okay. I think there might be a bit of a lag. Um, okay. But we'll. We'll carry on because otherwise it won't record. So we'll just carry on yeah. with the with the glitches. Um, yeah. okay. So okay,
1: that's you were 94. talking about the videos.
0: Huh?
1: You yeah, were about just,
0: video. that video, that YouTube video was was really cool, and I was like, wow, Hema is really cool because uh, now now nowadays, when people say uh, when I say to someone, how did you get into Hema? They always say, oh, I saw a YouTube video by Matt Easton or Scallagrim or or so-and-so, and, and they're usually, they're talking about like a, a talking head video where it's someone talking to the camera and describing um, an action or an activity or a concept, but this was just people fencing. And um, yeah. there are a lot of videos on the, online of people just fencing, but they're not actually that engaging uh, to watch um but this one was this one was really like it was it was really cool and i think that was the one for me that kind of made me think hey yeah this is a really cool
1: thing to get into so that's just it was was actually one of the one of the videos that um convinced me that it was worth going to the 1595 and it's the very first one which is a black and white one of uh gray chris uh going through a few different weapon forms yeah. um and it's such a beautiful video um and I still love that one and I still point people to that one because it was that that made me go no no I want to do that I want to do what they're doing um yeah. because yeah those videos are pretty cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool is the word yeah but, uh, they're really cool and I want to be really cool and do that yeah, um exactly. <laughs> who wouldn't And, and do so it's great <laughs> um so, like you you've taught a, a, a few events now uh and you're an instructor and i asked uh chloe this question the other day what are your top tips for becoming an instructor rather than just a fencer
1: for becoming an instructor okay uh first of all have a f- telling you that you're instructing <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, exactly that's the best way to start start instructing is to have friend do that at you um, someone to motivate after, you yeah encourage enthuse. <laughs> um threaten slightly uh, no um i think for me because i've come from a teaching background as well it's a little bit easier to understand that there is actually something that anybody can teach because actually what you can teach is a different perspective you may you might not be the greatest master at a particular system or a particular thing but actually almost everybody has got something that they can share and it's about finding what it is that you can share about you what you found out about a particular system so there are certain ways that i have defense at five foot five most of the rest of the people that I fence with are about a foot taller than me, to be honest with you. Most people in our club, a lot of them are quite tall. So I've had to adapt what's the main elements of the teach-taught system and the 59.5 are to me, to me um, I, I can't get any taller. certainly not fencing or on stilts to try and i would never have the reach so there are some aspects which i've had to adapt and i can immediately because i know them better than anybody else so i'm good at teaching people who haven't got given length arms luke (laughs) um and um and so that there is an element immediately that i can that i can teach as well as anybody else Obviously, I've read around the subject a lot. So I've given myself that confidence that I understand the basic principles of the system, that I understand basic, the theory behind what I'm doing as well. So I've given myself that support. I'm not the most common person. I am terrible for the dreaded imposter syndrome. So I deal with that reinforcing everything that I know. I think about an hour um, revising before I joined up to this today um in case you asked me anything too difficult that well, I couldn't come up with an answer for um and then I think the last bit of it is just get on and do it yeah <laughs> actually most make people yourself better to rather than try to go out you're normally surrounded by people who are on your side and want to want to listen
0: that's a really, really important point,
1: because
0: uh, when you're when you're
1: there, when you're there with just these yeah.
0: eyes on you, you're waiting for someone to go. Hang on a minute, that's not how that goes, and it doesn't happen because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all want to know.
1: They want to ask I'm- you questions, though, and you and you don't know the answer because not everybody has yeah. got every single piece of information, and that comes a little bit from me from team ecology. Ecology is a first subject it's absolutely huge i don't know the answer to a question in ecology even though i've been studying it and teaching it for many years now there will always be a question whether or not it's from someone brand new or from someone really experienced that i don't know the answer to so it's a perfectly valid response to go do you know what i don't know. that's a really interesting point or let's explore it let's let's see what you're and let's play around and have that that conversation as a conversation as fences, rather than as you know, just just talking through theory. So there's, there's definitely teaching technique in there, which has really helped me from having taught other subjects. Um, I will admit though, I, even though, you know, I've, I've taught fencing a few times at a few different workshops and stuff now, and even you know, teaching subjects like ecology and stuff, I still get very, very nervous. As soon as I start talking normally okay but I I get really nervous beforehand um, and I I know that I get really stressy beforehand and I'm not necessarily a fun person to talk to 20 minutes before I'm doing something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel the moment you start teaching does that go away or do you do you suddenly get in the zone?
1: It it always goes away, and I have to every time remind myself that it's going to go away the second I start talking. That actually once again it's fine.
0: That is exactly what Chloe said. She she said like I'll be all like very wound up. She said, but I, it's like a switch. Like the moment you start the class, it's sunny. You're like in the zone, and those feelings have gone. So I think I think the uh, the imposter syndrome that plagues everyone absolutely everyone forever it doesn't go away um is there when you're not teaching but it's not there when you are teaching um which is a really important thing to remember i think that so it's it's just it's just there when you're when you're not in the zone um so your your top tips yeah. are have someone to motivate you <laughs> um push you in the general direction um know that you know uh and do your do your research and um what was the last one it was about the imposter syndrome wasn't it it's just answering back to that Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome voice in your head and just saying no come on now
1: um those are really good um sorry yeah once once you've started, out it's it. normally complete with that. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Once you start, once you start, it, it all goes. It all goes away anyway. Uh... So you're cutting out again. you. I think it's my Wi-Fi. Can Hi. you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yep. Right it's pride month um it's pride month and um i know that in i haven't attended myself in the past but in previous years when we could when pride could actually take place in london um there was a there was a bunch of humorists from the area who got together and uh did a little sort of mini procession of HEMA people with with pridey stuff uh, in the last couple of years but obviously we we can't do it this month and it all the sort of celebrations of pride are having to take place um online basically yeah. um just want to ask what your perspective is on LGBT representation and inclusivity in HEMA what are your thoughts yeah Diver-
1: diversity is incredibly important that people feel and welcome in spaces around me is incredibly important um it's it's something which because i mean we originated in brighton it's you know part and parcel of how the club evolved in terms of inclusivity particularly for lgbtq plus um Use as well so it's it's incredibly important is welcome it's a constant thing in Hema. it is dominated by um and it's something that sorry. we need to, to to oh breaking up again fran
0: yes yeah, sorry. Uh, you i heard you up until you said it's a constant yeah, I can hear you. Uh, you said it's a constant something, and then it cut out.
1: Okay. Ah, trying to remember. What I, yeah. So in in Hema, and the same is true in in my field of work as well. It's you know there is a large proportion of white cis males in what we do, and it's incredibly important that we. Show how open and inclusive we are; that people are safe, that people are welcome, that people will literally be welcomed with open arms, um, and shown how to use sort. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's that's an incredibly part of what we do in Hema. It's an incredibly important part of my work at the museum as well, because natural history and ecology is by and large very similar. Um, it, in in that way as well um something we're constantly striving for um we can always do more we can always do more to make it clear that the club is is open to to everybody and that everyone will be welcome in our spaces um no matter where we are whether or not that's in one of our cells or when we're at an event somewhere else um you know but We can Sorry, always do more
0: to meth like that. Um, I think, um, from
1: a purely Gosh, I can, combined... I can... can you hear me, Fran? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, can you I hear can me?
0: Okay? Fine, Fran. Yeah. No, I, yep. I was going to say, um, I think from a purely um, mercenary point of view like if you just want to get bums on seats if you just want to fill your your HEMA club with members being very uh, pro LGBT uh, and in diversity and inclusivity is a huge uh, way to go towards that because it's, it's quite obvious to me the diversity that you represent that you welcome that you encourage the more people are doing HEMA it's, it's simple you have got more members to your club um you know more, more more women more questions for Steph uh it doesn't have to be about HEMA it could be about bats <laughs>
1: <laughs> or baking <laughs> <Could be>. yeah <laughs> I can try and answer it's supposed <laughs> to be everything isn't it <laughs> Ask
0: the expert. Here we go. So, um, what uh, people think of things to say. Uh, I was. What I'm going to do is because I've I managed to record that sex segment that we did. Uh, okay. With all the glitches, so it's saved, uh, and I'll try and save this next 20 minute um, recording that we're doing now, um, and I'll use this time to just say uh, my next guest on Tuesday is the lovely Alex Austin. From, um, from London Historical Fencing Club. So really looking forward to chatting to her. Uh, ah, we've got a question come in from Captain
1: Kirk. Hey, what? Captain Kirk. <laughs> favourite weapon? Favourite weapon? Well, um, favourite weapon has to be um, Saviolo's um, military rapier. Which a lot of people would call a side sword, but we don't because it's us. Um, <laughs> it's mostly to differentiate. <laughs> it's mostly to differentiate. To be honest with you, because ours is an absolute brute of a weapon. Personally, I really like it in combination with the dagger as well. So the sword we use. Hold on a second. I have props.
0: It's like a, a rapier on steroids. Yeah.
1: So here <laughs> she is the brute. um you- so this is actually a smaller version than some of the ones that we we'd had made in the past because i'm shorter than everybody else um so it was made originally by uh marco Danelli. um my one uh it's a beautiful thing uh they are large uh Com- particularly compared to some of the side swords, and certainly compared to what most people would think of as a as a rapier, they are heavy weapons. They're based on um, mostly on A five three five from the Wallace collection. Um, although A five three five doesn't have a um, double sided blade all the way uh, up to the hilt, okay. um, there are a few co- there are a few versions of it, and it's kind of one of the um the reason we picked that sword or the reason chris picked that sword originally for for the club is there's a few different reasons but actually it seems to have been a relatively common uh soldier's weapon Saviolo was a soldier um he he was contemporary and grew up in the same place as fabrice Fabrice went more for a court style of fencing instruction. Saviolo's is based on his experiences as a travelling soldier. (laughs) There he is. Um, So, yeah, so Saviolo's fencing style is based on being a travelling soldier. Therefore, he would have had a weapon which was sturdy, strong, very unlikely to break, particularly during travel, as well as multiple campaign. So it had to be a solid weapon. It means it's not necessarily the delicatest, most prettiest of weapons but actually a lot of sword collections seems to have this or similar styles of weapons mostly in the back stores of the collections rather than out on display because they're not the ornate, fancy beautiful things um, that were necessarily saved in quite the same way. It has been altered over the years. I did have I did send it to Balefire um, alterations uh, partly uh, a closed port that you can see it in there, um, because obviously with the with the open port, um, we have had incidents where swords going between, um, and I just don't want to risk that. And it's a perfectly valid thing to to put onto that blade, and a bit more weight taken out of it because um, it was quite heavy. Um, I'll admit it's still quite heavy, but I can certainly compared so they- to our load. they um,
0: the weight out of the blade or out of the hilt?
1: Uh, out of the blade and also out of the pommel to balance it out. Oh. So this has done some beautiful neat uh, work on the pommel just to take a bit of weight out but still make it look pretty.
0: Nice. Another question also from Captain Kirk for you. Is there mm-hmm. any other weapon, stem that you would like to try?
1: Uh, well <laughs> more recent this is so sorry about that. So, yeah, so what I was about to say told me that I had to say one of my greatest inspirations in HEMA. Um <laughs> she's now gonna kill me. But fortunately she's um <laughs> one, one of the things actually that I've been really getting into it a little bit more recently is small sword and part of that has genuinely been seen partly because for a brief period we live next door to each other as well um but actually i'm really enjoying small sword uh, yeah we had our little HEMA hub um for about three months um yeah so um so yes yeah, so i'm really enjoying sword and uh, actually i've currently got a small sword based loosely on my a534 Five commissioned at the moment which I'm at, at some point yeah. um, Who's making <laughs> oh no, that? i on Suze Hitler Oh, oh god <laughs> um, Yeah so small sword is being really fun um, Fencing styles uh, Luke recently got an arming sword so we've been around with a uh, sword and buckler uh, which has been really fun uh, um, as well Maybe one day i'll even pick up a long sword who knows
0: well you funny you should mention that because the next question is from the great nozali who says what weapon is you what weapon do you prefer a rapier or a long sword in a
1: duel to the death definitely definitely my military rapier absolutely yeah. um i I can put two hands on it if I want to um, but the dexterity of the, the sword uh, I, I I love um, and I know beautiful fencers who can be incredibly precise and incredibly delicate and dexterous with it but I don't know the weapon anything like as well uh, certainly um, and I would absolutely trust my life behind my sword
0: and that hilt yeah yeah <laughs> you're gonna get your hands chopped off quite so easily and you've only got one hand at risk
1: um yeah although yeah i mean it's part of part of how we fence you mentioned the unique element of of the fifteen ninety five fencing style and part of that is the left hand um and that very much comes from uh sabiello's and your, um well it's tree ties, um and and actually use. You- and the active use of the offhand even when it's not in play
0: yeah there's a there's a lot of hand parries uh goes on um yeah while we're seeing if anyone else has got a question for you we've got a little bit of time left uh what's your favorite that you've ever been to Favorite event?
1: well obviously it has, has to be by the sword of course for obvious reasons, do <laughs> love that event, of course. <laughs> um, aside from by the sword, though, because is far too creepy. Um, th- I genuinely think the best event is the Maltese one. Anyone um, who hasn't been, that's an event. It's actually its tenth anniversary this November. Assuming we can all go, um, I'd love. i have. Um, but it's it's a magnificent event. I mean. How else are you going to get to fence on top of a fort in the sunshine in November? You know, it's incredible instructors, incredible fencers to, to spar with. There's no competition. There's no tournament. I know it means it's not necessarily for everybody, um, but I absolutely love that that event. Um, the Maltese um, fencers um, have created a marvellous it, one there.
0: It's a Game of Thrones location, isn't it? It was a filming location.
1: I think it probably was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it was used for both uh when uh, in the first series uh when Daenerys was uh sold to Khal Drogo. I think it's where that was all filmed. And I think it was used uh for some of the scenes um um like uh with the mountain and um the viper. I think I think it featured in a lot okay. of those.
1: Yeah. I, I wouldn't be like... slight surprised I'm not up on my friend's locations I'm afraid but I wouldn't be even slightly <laughs> surprised it's a but, yeah, stunning it's
0: a, stun- it's a stunning location uh, and it's warm in November
1: <laughs> yeah. and it's but the yeah the, the, the instruction is second to none fantastic really varied instructors um, and, and really great fences to, to spar with as well is
0: that
1: have any particular theme or is it anything and everything it's it actually includes an awful lot there's been uh version styles um shown there um so we're not teaching our stuff one of our instructors is normally there leading a couple of workshops um there's uh, a lot of Um, and longsword and sort of stand things and normally uh, unarmed classes as well which makes it a little bit different to a lot of other fencing events which tend tend not to show so much of the unarmed uh, styles Mm -hmm.
0: Sounds quite varied Um, Mm -hmm. What event have you not been to that you would like to go to?
1: Uh, I think it's probably Dijon Same! I think uh, that's that one's really
0: high up on my hit list. I really want to get
1: to that one. I went well, well, oh, on a time. A hmm? Of course, and swoosh of course for a nuke.
0: Oh, of course, swoosh, of course, swoosh. Um, it, uh, yeah, D- Dijon was one of the big like big three at one point, wasn't it? To go to or big four, I should say. There's like once in a time, it was like swordfish, Swash, fight camp, and and Dijon were like the four things that happened a year that mm. everyone went to, to, but I, for some by some, I don't know what it is, but I never ever actually managed to get round to going, so yeah that's that's one that I would like to yeah. to go to as well Do we have any more questions for Steph before she has to appear off and do some more work? Because that's the reason why we had to have the earlier time slot, because um
1: You're on the hit list now I know I know Sue <laughs> knows where I live as well it's scary <laughs> It
0: does, yeah When she lived next door, is it next door to where you live now?
1: Yeah <laughs> Yeah, so she was in the ground floor flat uh, uh, Next door and, I, and we're in the bay flat um, ah. so, uh, so, yeah Oh, I think um, Bill, oh got a good question. Yeah, favorite bat. I mean that that's gotta be a good question. <laughs> Favourite bat for me is the Bill Benton's bat because of its massive very hobbit feet. What's it called? Door Bentons. Bill Benton's bat. Door Bentons. D A U B something, rather well, tons. Um so it's a sea flying low over the water surface, and it has huge hairy feet that it uses to catch into the water surface. It's oh wow! <laughs> uh, what's the a next bit one?
0: That version of, a, of oh. an osprey, kind of.
1: Yeah,
0: kind
1: of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grappling. Who? Uh, which is how important do I think it is for hammerists to study grappling? Um. Close combat, close contact stuff is really important. I struggle with grappling um, to an extent, but the boxing element of what we do and our weekly unarmed classes has really helped me with that. Um, it's, we tend not to do a lot of grappling in the fifteen ninety five, um, but I have obviously done various things in Aikido and stuff, which which are of use. Um, But it's definitely an important element of it. And it's important to study, I think, all aspects of of fencing. Uh, So it's certainly something that people should be aware of. um, And yeah, I think really peaceful. First of all, tell us about that step. Oh, gosh, what do you want to know, Sue? Oh, HEMA supplier. Um recommended HEMA supplier. Well swords it's gotta be for me it's gotta be battlefield blades. I know they're not the um lowest priced option out there. Um and commission swords uh uh take their time um but they are beautiful pieces um so that's got to be my favorite and of course um I've, I've got to within that got to give a shout out to alicia and her leather work because uh, she's just made me an amazing sword belt. um i kind of get my bits and pieces from all over the place really uh my jacket and my breeches came from zen warrior armory um so I've got this fantastic um tweed because with a fifteen ninety five uh jacket from Zembri Armoury that I love. It's so um manoeuvrable, but of course it's not very well padded because it's quite a light jacket that I want from for a small sword particularly. Um so that's not necessary for everyone, particularly people who are going stuff. Um Smooth made me uh, uh a chest protector, another chest protector, to get that for when um, things do get a little bit more stabby, uh, and, and that's beautiful. Um, so I do tend to go for more bespoke things, and I think a lot of women do tend to do that um, because a lot of gear doesn't fit us. Uh, gloves, of course, are the constant um, problem.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Go to at swordwomen on Instagram to see upcoming interviews or visit bythesword.net for information about our event or look for our Facebook page by the sword.